0: I haven't told you about how I hard shoved a deer into a field the other day on the way home from work. <laughs> I mean, I know
1: there was a deer incident, a deer incident.
0: So I was driving back from the metery because I worked. I like got out at like seven. Like of course, it was dark. It's out in the middle of nowhere, so you have to drive country roads to get home. Take me Rome. Take me Rome. Take me home. Country roads. <laughs> and I was... Giving our friend Chelsea a ride home, also. Yes. So we were in the car screaming along to ABBA. Like you do. Like you do. And the roads weren't great. So, but I got a Subaru. You know what? You got that that's powerful a, ass Subaru. It's a goddamn tank. Seriously. So <laughs> we're driving down this road that's not exactly the greatest, you know, conditions or whatever. I see a deer off to the side in a ditch as I'm singing ABBA. Yeah, (laughs) as you do as you do and i see the deer's head pop up like oh there's a car and you're like oh fuck oh fuck and i could tell this deer's internal monologue was where do i go do i go here (laughs) do i go here where do i go but i saw her so i was slowing down but i can't you can't slam on your brakes because it's shitty weather Yep. so i'm slowing down slowly as i'm watching this deer try to decide where to go and i'm like honey no honey no honey honey no 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 (laughs) and then she like (laughs) walks into my car You know what? I know where I'm gonna
1: go. Yes. I got it.
0: She was just like, I'm gonna go the exact way I should not go, and she literally walked into my car as I hit her at about seven miles an hour, and just hard shoved her into the field. <laughs> was she okay? She was fine. She was just like, oh fuck, oh fuck, but just like got up and ran away. <laughs> and like i was i for some reason i was just like okay keep driving but then i was like wait no i need to find out if my car is okay and when when you pushed her did you hear the deer go
1: mama mia here we go again
0: oh my god yes oh welcome to rock candy (laughs) i'm fine chelsea's fine the car is fine the deer is fine everybody's, everybody's fine, fine. <laughs> no damage to my car the hilarious thing though is that chelsea was like very like we need to check out the car and make sure there's no oh. damage so she, she was looking at everything in the front she was like oh what about this crack here i'm like nope that's been there oh. what about these scratch nope that's been there what about that scratch nope that's been there like she didn't do anything it's it's you know what it's a Subaru it's a Subaru it's a tank it shoves deer into a (laughs) field it's supposed
1: to take a little bit of a
0: beating exactly and they're also low to the ground so at least
1: the Impreza is so yeah the Imprezas are really fucking low to the ground like that would actually that deters me from an Impreza
0: yeah but I mean I go over snow banks in my Impreza all the time all right fair enough you win this round But if you really want a Subaru sedan that will get you over a snowbank, get that legacy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the fancy one. Yeah. That's a family car.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, again, welcome to Rock, Candy. (laughs) A bunch of Subaru whores. And uh, we're here telling you uh, some more weekly sweet podcast stories about the world of music. Indeed. We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. We're here at part two of David Bowie.
0: Yes, the two towers of David it Bowie. It really
1: is, though. This is... There's is a lot. This
0: is the Isengard of...
1: like the, Hel- the Helm's Deep. This is definitely the one where I was... When I was finished, I'm like, I need a fucking nap. Like, we yeah. need to regroup yeah, real quick. Because, like, holy shit. Like, I went and, you know... At Isengard, I just, like, took my, like, trophies of food and weed
0: because I was, like, <laughs> some I'm fucking salty tired. Yeah. I was, like,
1: I need to relax and recharge. You just
0: went helms deep into David Bowie's story, oh. and now you need some old Toby to help you through it. I did. I
1: did have some old Toby to help me through <laughs> it because holy shit. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, I'm telling y'all right now, this is just from, like, 1970 to 1979. Seriously, it, this is just the chonkiest. <laughs> is this going to end up being a four parter? No, because no. honestly, like <sighs> the wait. 80s and 90s to like the end of Bowie, it's not quite as like this is just wild.
0: Oh, it, so, we're not even going to get to Labyrinth? Today? Oh, no, not today. Oh, come on. Sorry. I, was, I was looking forward to Labyrinth. Sorry, it's like your episodes on Rush. I <sighs> guess I'll have to wait. You have to wait,
1: but tonight we're going to talk about some fucked up shit yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and before i get started i would like to talk about my very well very picked up yeah. picked up beer tonight um it is armed spider from what was it oh yeah tripping animals, tripping animals brewing co where are they from oh, florida oh florida really yeah that's what it says all right all right um it is a sour ale with lime juice, passion fruit, sweet cherry, orange, and brown sugar. I had high hopes for this. Mm-hmm. It's not bad,
0: but it's just meh. That's, but it's that's also- how I felt about a lot of sours that I would have. Because I, when I think of sours, I think very tart. Mm-hmm. And this is the very flavor tart. profile. And a lot of times I will just get like mashed berries with all of the tartness taken out. And I'm like, this isn't what I wanted. This oh. is like a subpar smoothie.
1: No, no, no. This is this is tart, but I think they just tried to put too many flavors. They yeah. should have nixed the passion fruit and the brown sugar. I think if yeah. you just went with lime, cherry, and orange. Actually, you know what? You could just get rid of the passion fruit. The passion fruit is too much. Yeah. Passion fruit stands on its own. It does not need accompaniment. Yeah. So. Accoutrement. need the accoutrement. Uh, but obviously, I picked Arm Spider because tonight we will be discussing Mr. Ziggy Stardust and the Spider, the Spoters from Mars. Oh. So, you know, I did it. Cool. I fucking
0: did it. Congratulations. Two weeks in a row. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing next week. Maybe this week I will actually remember to post the teaser. So.
1: You know. I know, I'm doing so good right now. I need you to post the teasers. I'll post
0: the teaser that should have gone out last week. And this week. And with this week. Good. Because I'm like, You're so good though. You I did, did a good job. You did a really excellent job so both. I'm proud weeks. of myself. I'm just <laughs> I've broken both my arms jerking myself yeah. off here. I earned it. And I didn't even acknowledge it when I was posting. How I'm so sorry. Dare you. It's fine. Honestly. It's it's spicy times. Yeah. Yeah. End of times. Feels times. like it.
1: Feels like it. All right, so let's get into it. Okay. When we last left this Starman, he was busting his ass, constantly working on music to move the masses. And while his previous efforts had at least garnered him a moderate fan base, it was what was to come next that made David Bowie a household name. Mm-hmm. During the creation of Hunky Dory, David and his band were working on many a number of songs. And some just didn't really fit the vibe for this release. So they were to just like push them af- aside for a time. But on second look, there actually seemed to be like kind of a, like a little theme they could string together here. Mm-hmm. It inspired David to work on making the follow up something of a concept album. He wasn't going to just make music. He was going to perform a story for the listeners. Something out of this world inspired by the tales of sci-fi as well as the fantasy world of rock and roll that he just stepped into. Mm-hmm. The resulting album was The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spoders from Mars. Spiders from Mars. (laughs) I just really like Spoder.
0: Spoder Mars. Spoder Mars.
1: (laughs) David would take on the titular role of Ziggy, while his band, still consisting of Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder, and Woody Woodsman, were The Spiders from Mars. Mm -hmm. The story goes like this. Okay, Earth's only got five more years before it's all over. So Ziggy, an omnisexual androgynous alien, goes to the planet to spread a message of hope to the people. But he becomes this massive rock star with a huge following in the process and then ends up destroying himself on the excesses and egocentricities that go along with this lifestyle.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I can see the parallels between this and Devin Townsend's Ziltoid, the omniscient. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. No, (laughs) not at all. They just happen to be aliens. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a good alien concept album? Right? Honestly. Especially when puppets and coffee are involved. Oh, yeah. Coffee. Bowie will get there soon enough to the puppets and coffee. Yeah. He will.
1: (laughs) And then he becomes the sovereign and just everything changes. Yeah. At this point, everyone was becoming used to the fact that David easily lost interest in projects. So they needed to get the songs down in a few takes because he would move on whether they were
0: done or not. And because of this, Ziggy... Because <laughs> baby, no attention span over here. We're about, can't she's deal like, with this it. This is fine. This is fine. We're releasing it
1: like this. Well, David, your voice cracked. I don't care. I'm ready for the next song. Oh, something
0: shiny.
1: <laughs> because of this, though, Ziggy Stardust would be released in June 72, about six months after Hunky Dory. I'm Again, sure. it's the 70s. Yeah. You you shit out an album every other month.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: Like, literally, like Fleetwood Mac would like go to the bathroom and be like, Oh, huh,
0: another album.
1: Just shout out another album. There we go. It wasn't enough to just write these songs, though. He and his band needed to play their parts in performances as well. Bowie worked with the others for months to craft the perfect looks for Ziggy and the spiders. And this included the now iconic bright red
0: mullet that he sports mm. as... Ziggy for a couple years. And no no eyebrows. Who needs eyebrows? Mm. I hope you're not sweating. I'm As I'm sitting here like trying to get all the shit that gets stuck in my eyeballs all the time mm-hmm. out of my eyeballs mm-hmm. because my eyebrows don't work. My eyebrows don't work and my eyelashes
1: are not thick enough yeah. or long enough. So I get shit in my
0: eyes all the time. Yep. Yeah. I'm constantly poking my own eyeballs. Constantly. He would take a few breaks
1: to record with musician friends Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, and Mott the Hoople. This is when he gave them All the Young Dudes. Oh. But for the most part, David would have to put most of his focus on touring for the next couple years. Initially, the album was selling steadily, but like nothing was really pushing the needle on the charts. However, after a performance on Top of the Pops. Top of the Pops. When people... Gets everybody. Every time. It's like... And then there was that performance on Top of the Pops. Yep. And that's when people all across the UK were finally able to see this mythical musician and his band, dressed in all their glam glory, perform Starman. And they were sold. Mm-hmm. That same year, manager Tony DeFreeze started a management organization called Main Man, with David being his first and biggest client, he's, obviously. He's the main man. He is. He is. He is. Thank you. He is. <laughs> Thank you. That's why he I... called it that. Yeah. David I, thought I, it was named after that. him. <laughs> it was na- Tony named it after himself because he's like, I'm the main man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just, just let him think that. Girl, just let him
0: think it. Just, just, just know where your seatbelt is. Yeah, because you're gonna want to buckle up. Yeah, I've I've heard some things. I'm <sighs> I'm ready for this ride. Yeah. Offices would be
1: open in London and New York, and he would hire many familiar faces from the factory to help run the organization, like David's friends, Tony Vanzetta and Cherry Vanilla. hmm With Main Man in place, Tony wanted to make this tour a big affair, especially in America. hmm Like mentioned previously, he insisted on spending like a star to look like a star, and it didn't stop there. David
0: did? Tony. Oh. And Was I mean, he, is, he the um, one that encouraged David to spend money like he had it. Yes. Okay. And David's like, all right. Sure. What <laughs> right then? Don't got to tell me twice. I think that sounds fair.
1: He made it seem impossible to get an interview with his client. David would actually have like entire days open, but Tony would tell radio stations, I, I don't know. We're going to have to work to squeeze you in and like really try <laughs> to like. Make it seem like it's really hard to get an interview with, yeah. Mike, with David right now. Yeah. Um, and also, he would include big items in the rider to venues like a nine-foot grand piano and covered paths to get to and from the backstage of the bus so he could avoid <laughs> the paparazzi. <laughs> and heavy-handed threats of cancellation were offered if these terms weren't met.
0: Hilarious. There was
1: a show in Ohio where they couldn't get a nine-foot grand piano and Tony, and I forgot who the assistant was that was saying like, yeah, they can't get it. And Tony's like, cancel it. And the guy's like, I'm not going to fucking cancel it. And Tony's like, cancel it. And so he's just lying like, no, they found one. But they actually did manage to find one. <laughs> but like, This is like,
0: like how to build a diva in one tour. Yeah. They they could have written that book. But also, like, I think Tony just thought he was a diva. Tony himself was a diva.
1: yeah I get yeah. that vibe. Yeah. That's that what it vibe. sounds like. You wouldn't think this stuff would work, though, but it totally did. Mm -hmm. It helped that this new Ziggy persona on David's part was already garnering a lot of attention, but making him seem so untouchable did not hurt. Mm -hmm. And as the tour went on, the lines between David and Ziggy were beginning to blur. It started innocently enough with Ziggy being on stage every night just for the masses, and then, like, you know, he's like, all right, now I'm David. But it wasn't too long until Ziggy kind of... Became an offstage presence as well. So, for example, David fucking hates flying. Okay. He hates to fly. He's so scared. Like, he's just, he's very, Mm -hmm. fear of flying. Very paranoid. So, like, in lieu of flying, he'll pretty much, like, do, like, boats or trains or buses or, like, whatever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Anything that's not in the air. So... In order to convey opulence, Tony had David and Angie and a small inner circle of friends travel to the States via a cruise liner. And, of course, like, you know, no expense was spared. On this. So Ziggy had such a hold at this point that David would actually just dress as Mr. Stardust more often than not. He'd go to, like, the dinner on the cruise ship (laughs) dressed as Ziggy Stardust and all these, like, stuffy, pearl-clutching fucking olds are like, the fuck? Didn't...
0: Alien, come on this ship. And he would. Where
1: am I? And he would get so upset. He'd be like, "Everyone's staring at me.
0: No fucking
1: shit, my dude." So one of the on this trip, his childhood friend George was with him, and he was like, "Yeah, David, they're staring at you. You literally look like an alien." So then he just stopped taking his meals in public. He would just only take them in his room and spend almost all of his time in his room to like just read and do whatever
0: he wanted. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, that's the exact opposite of what is supposed to be happening here. Yep, it's it's very weird. Okay, he's trying new things. I get it, but like, was nobody like, hey, so this this David guy and this Ziggy guy, they're like separate, right? No, no one, no nobody, one. nobody, not at, this, not at this point. And it wasn't that bad. But I mean, it <laughs> I mean, was when this you become bad? a recluse on a fucking cruise ship, it's kind of bad. Yeah, yeah. But
1: also, in his defense, David Bowie was an introvert, so he was probably more than happy. Like, I am just gonna stay in my room and read books, and which is
0: amazing to think because looking at him, you would be like, "What the fuck is introverted about that?" I know. All right, sure, okay, we'll go with this narrative. This works for now. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Surprisingly, drugs weren't a big thing for him on this tour, but perhaps to make up for that, he went the way of a sex fiend. While he and Angie had an open marriage, he was taking it to a whole nother level. Mm. Boning pretty much anyone. Like, that was, everyone was like, oh yeah, David Bowie, he'll fuck anything, anywhere. Oh. Um. Angie was beginning to get embarrassed by this, so she started fucking anyone she wanted to. You're in an open Fair marriage, enough. why not? Fair enough. But apparently when she started
0: fucking his bodyguard, that was just too much. Oh, too close to home? I guess though too. Is they... it too close to actually fucking her own husband? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, no, this, we can't oh, have no, this. We can't have too this. Too far.
1: You're, you're fucking my bodyguard. and <laughs> That's too close to fucking me. <laughs> uh, this has come too close to full circle. Yes, yeah, seriously. David and Angie have a contentious and bizarre relationship at this yeah. point. So like I guess I could give it to him a little bit where it's like his biggest he says the biggest reason he got mad about it is because they were boning in the hotel pool and they got yelled at for it. Like they got caught by the and then like David got like a talking to by the hotel a finger staff. wag. And then like David's like, well, how could you embarrass me like that? And then Andrew's like, I don't embarrass me all fucking time, Bowie. <laughs> like what? What? The
0: fuck do you expect, my dude? Yeah, like it was very much like a oh, you guys are a mess. <laughs> like at that point you're like, oh. That should have been like an epiphany moment and they were just like, nope. We're just going to keep fucking other people. You might be Make- surprised to hear. Not an epiphany moment. <laughs> ah, no way. <laughs> Their relationship was
1: frayed at this point. Every, even the partnership that they developed professionally was beginning to fall apart. The, you know, like, Angie was such a, like an influence to get David to do his own thing and to create these like crazy personalities. But like now he's kind of going off on his own and doing it doesn't really need her as much for yeah. that support. But what's kind of fucked up is they I guess they apparently had this deal where Angie was like, all right, I'm going to help you get to where you need to get. And then we're going to work on me. And David's like, yep, <laughs> they did it. <laughs> guess what? Yeah. They never did. That turned into a one way street. Yeah. David got big, and Angie's like, so me next,
0: right? And he's like, "Right? oh, yeah, just wait after this album, okay? Uh, Oh, no, just after this recording session. Oh, no, just wait until the next album comes out. Oh, no, just wait. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As they continued to travel across the states, their entourage only grew larger, which in turn meant more money being spent. At this point, RCA was footing the bill, but it's not like David wasn't going to have to pay this back with revenue. Um, um, a fact that he would discover later. later.
0: Yeah, that's no how they get you. No told him. That's how they get you. This and isn't they free nev- money. And they never tell you yeah. that all of that is all of the money that they give you up front, you have to pay back. Yeah. Plus some. They never tell you that. That is how TLC got TL Screwed. Oh, I like that.
1: <laughs> That's how, Um. oh, every band we've talked about yeah. got fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird. But the big problem, revenue being made on this show didn't even make up for half of what was being spent. The amount owed to the label was accounted somewhere in the range of like 500000
0: to a full mil. Which is quite a lot. Quite a lot for the 70s. And that's 70s money. So it's closer to like 5 million at this point. He's still an upcoming artist. Like he's not making that much money. (laughs) You're not headlining arenas, honey. You're just kind of doing, you know, clubs. Yeah. And like that's not to say like he is doing... You know, impressive gigs.
1: He's not like a nobody. Yeah,
0: but I mean, this, this is, is definitely... your f-
1: this is your first tour of the United States. He's spending like he's I don't know, Frank fucking Sinatra at this point. Yeah. You know, like oh, I can get do whatever I want. It's like, no, you can't. Mm. This is how I'm gonna look like a rock star. And it's like, oh, I get real broke in like two years.
0: You just need to be creative in how to look like a rock star on a budget. I'm pretty sure like you already looked like a rock star. Yeah,
1: pretty sure you didn't need, you know, it's fine,
0: it's fine, it's fine.
1: Not even realizing that money was an issue yet, by the end of 72, David would use breaks between tour legs to work on his next album. There was a real pressure to follow up the immense success of Ziggy Stardust. While he was beginning to tire of the Ziggy persona already, he just didn't want it to become a cliché. But he realized that this was exactly what the people were clamoring for. So he still had to work within that wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So back went Ziggy and the Spiders into the studio. Since Rick Wakeman was busy with Yes, they would need to bring someone new in to play keyboard. And at the suggestion of RCA, they got Mike Garson and already sought after jazz blues pianist. And this would be a perfect addition for David, helping him helping to keep him from becoming bland rock and roll so he could continue to experiment. Mm -hmm. The songs were very much influenced by his time in America, a place that he was once fascinated and enchanted by.
0: Why? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because I don't know. I just picture him- Post-World War II. I just picture him arriving at Newark Airport in New Jersey and being like, this place is amazing. And we're like- magical. And everyone's like, "Get the fuck out of my way, you piece of shit!" Is it just the <laughs> airport full of warm tongues? <laughs> Pretty much. All right, get out of my way.
1: <laughs> and it wasn't that those feelings went away per se, but they were definitely layered in with a newfound dismay from spending an extended time and seeing the more downtrodden areas. Yeah, it's like you go to New York and you go to L.A. You're like, "This looks cool," but then like you go to Ohio and you're like. Oh wolf! But then you go to Newark, New Jersey. You're like,
0: oh yeah,
1: like actually specifically Detroit. Like yeah, really got him. Yeah, and especially because he's friends with Iggy, who's from Detroit, and he's like, what the
0: fuck? And Iggy's like, oh boy, honey, let me (laughs) tell you some stories. (laughs) I'm just picturing him like, I don't know, (laughs) like he's married Tyler Moore. Just like, <laughs> this is amazing. I love it. Just spinning around, like, some really awful part of Detroit.
1: And then Iggy's over in the corner like, 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 what are you doing? Stop it, man. Just stop. stop. What are you doing? <laughs> and
0: then he throws his hat up and freeze frame.
1: Are you, are you going to move, man? <laughs> we got to go. God, what are you doing? You know you have a
0: show in, like, two hours, right, man? <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> Mary Tyler fucking Moore, get the fuck out of the middle of the road. See, now that's the fan art I want. (laughs) Ziggy David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust as Mary Tyler Moore in Detroit, while like things are on fire, and (laughs) Iggy
1: Pop is just like, dude, what the fuck? Come on, you're making me look stupid. (laughs) So most songs were inspired by a certain location. Watch that man was about New York. Correct actor, obviously for L.A. Panic in Detroit, obviously, yeah, it's about panicking the fuck, yeah, <laughs>
0: your fucking mind out of t- in Detroit, yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, he very much got to understand, like the plight of Detroit, like, which we all why know, it is, is. It's like, yeah, how it's like just such just like horribly forgotten city that's like, no, this is still a fucking city, and people live here. We just need to give a shit about it,
0: yeah, it's just all of the car companies moved out of state or out of the country and totally devastated an entire area. I mean, quite frankly, I think Detroit was a good muse for
1: David's at that time. Very nihilistic, apocalyptic kind of, you know, vibe that he was going for.
0: Yeah, I can see where he got the inspiration for that. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So David would call this album
1: A Lad Insane. Clearly, a play on Aladdin, insane. Oh, Aladdin, insane. Aladdin, insane. Sorry, it's hard to say. Aladdin, insane. It's not hard to say. I'm just like, but it's also a lad insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I get it. Oh, wait. Did you ever? Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. It's Aladdin, insane. It's just a play on a lad insane.
0: Oh, well,
1: cool. I never, I never even picked up on that. The so. more I keep saying it, none of these words are real. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alad? Insane? Insane? Aladdin? Sane? Aladdin? Sane. Fuck! (laughs) (laughs) These words don't mean
1: anything anymore. These don't don't mean anything. And a persona of the same name came from it. He didn't stray much from Ziggy. In fact, Aladdin was pretty much his American brother. It would be described as kind of like a Ziggy goes to America persona. So it's still kind of Ziggy, but he's American.
0: (laughs) still just picturing him as Mary Tyler
1: Moore. (laughs) But now he's. <laughs> hold on. Now he's Aladdin Sane as Ziggy Stardust as Mary Tyler Moore. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> no, it's David Bowie as Aladdin Sane as Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust, Stardust as, as Mary Tyler now Moore. Now I'm just
1: picturing one of those Russian dolls <laughs> that you keep the Russian them. nesting
0: dolls. Yes.
1: Like the first one has to be Mary Tyler Moore yeah. and then Aladdin Sane, then Ziggy, then <laughs> Bowie. Beautiful.
0: <laughs> Most beautiful Russian nesting dolls I've ever seen in my life. Oh, I want to make this now. Can somebody do that? Who knows
1: how? I'm to do sure that. if we
0: go on Etsy, we'll find it. Yeah, we'll find it.
1: The cover is iconic: a portrait of David's head and shoulders, sporting the bright red, orange, spiky hair, no shirt on, a large teardrop in his left clavicle, which I a never noticed, and then b don't think it looks like a teardrop. Maybe they mean yeah. it's like a like a teardrop puddle.
0: I don't know. They said it's a teardrop puddle. Sure. Whatever. Never Maybe caught it Maybe teardrop shapes are different in England. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the biggest... Shapes are different in England. I don't think that's you true. You didn't know that, but... That's not true. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's that's true. It's not real. Fake news. Triangles are not triangles as we know them. They call them Tridongles. <laughs> The aluminium tridongles. If you are from Liverpool, they call them tridangles. Oh my god! And nobody from Britain likes us anymore, and we're really sorry. Well, as the, you know, what we're ending the podcast, so it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. They're like, it's okay. I mean, we know these bitches aren't sticking around. Well, I think it's fair to say it's hard to or it's hard to really catch the the teardrops when there is a bright ass yes. lightning bolt on Bowie's face. Yeah yeah and that's like what everyone thinks of, yeah,
0: they're like, I don't care about anything else, that fucking lightning bolt though, yeah, fierce, but you know what what people cannot cancel us from making silly jokes about Britain when in not the latest season but the second to latest season of Great British baking show, they made people make cakes in the shape of like <gasps> the people that they admire the most oh, no. and one person did. No. Um, Aladdin, insane. It's so bad. It was so bad. I showed
1: it to you, you did? No, I. Why did you bring that memory back? I
0: did a really good job getting rid of that, Ashley. It was horrific. How dare you? It was like David Bowie meets Hellraiser. It, it was, was. It was awful. Or like, oh, there's another movie where there's a really big, lumpy, pale guy with like the. Uh, steampunk goggles. and I don't remember what movies from.
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? I 100% know what you're talking about. It's
0: something like Hellraiser, but it's not. Yeah. Some like creepy... It wasn't the fifth element, was it? I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. I'm glad you know what I'm talking about, because that's what I'm picturing. No one else knows, but I'm here for it. But that's what that dude's cake looked like. (laughs) It was
1: not good. It was quite bad. Yeah. Well, there are a few things the lightning bolt could be symbolizing. Some say it's a tribute to Elvis Presley, who wore a lightning bolt ring. Big influence on Bowie. Okay. Others think it's to portray the split in personalities that he was working with at the time. Or symbolizing his own torn feelings on America after spending so much time over here. Maybe he just thought lightning bolts look cool. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> That's all I could think of now. Yes, um, it looks sick. I think that it looks great.
0: I think that's what we just need to take from that.
1: Yep, but I am sure there is like some kind of like symbolism somewhere in there. Maybe sure. I don't
0: fucking know. <laughs> oh. I mean, a split in personalities makes
1: sense because Aladdin's insane, yeah. and it's supposed to be like you know a split between Aladdin, insane, and or Aladdin, fuck, and and Bowie, so or yeah. uh, Ziggy, so yeah, yeah, yeah. The work was quick, and Aladdin Sane was released in April 73 to critical and commercial acclaim. It was David's first record to hit number one. Oh, shit. Yeah. Good for him. Right? You did it. (laughs) Proud of you. More than American influence, the album had a few nods to the Rolling Stones, including a cover of Let's Spend the Night Together. No. (laughs) At this point, David had become good friends with Mick Jagger, as well as rivals. Rivals. Rivals.
0: Rivals.
1: Another frenemy relationship with each of them trying to one up the other. Fine. So Angie, in her biography, says that they fucked. David and Mick Jagger. Jagger. I isn't don't there, think that's true. Isn't
0: there a story about how she, like, walked in on, on them, them? fucking. Like, or not even fucking, just, like, cuddling after they apparently did fuck? Yeah, something like that. It, They might have been like just play fighting or like
1: wrestling. I don't know. Boys wrestle, right?
0: They wrestle. Yeah. Or maybe they
1: were just having a cuddle. Yeah. But like Angie was just like, they fucked. They were in a romantic relationship. And I just don't see. And a lot of people too were like, look, they had their dalliances. Mm -hmm. But those two could, those two would not do well in a relationship together. They would just constantly be trying to one up the other. And also, again, I think they were frenemies.
0: And also, I really hate narratives that automatically assume that because somebody is okay and enjoys sleeping with somebody of the same sex Mm -hmm. that everybody of the same sex that they become friends with they automatically have to fuck to everybody else's perceptions. No, that's
1: not how that works. (laughs) I will towards the end of the episode share my thoughts on Angie Bowie. But I'll leave it for now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Fine, I'll address this too. Okay. Because I didn't put it in my notes. So, yes, David Bowie slept with some underage women. At least one came out and said, Yeah. She's a 15 year old. He took her for Jane when she was 15. She even said, I was super happy about it. I'm still super happy about it. I have no regrets. She says, I am well aware right now that wasn't okay. Just because that was the thing back then. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, and this doesn't excuse it, everybody who did it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just want everyone to know, like, it was consensual. Things were different. That doesn't make it okay, but it's fine. Yeah. And even Bowie came out later on in his life. He's like, that was gross. I should have been sleeping with, like, underage groupies. That wasn't okay. Even if that was, like, the thing, that right. wasn't okay. Even if... You know, it was consensual. Still not really okay. So, yes. Just before anybody wants to come for me about, like, the whole, like, but he raped a teenager. He did not. He had a consensual, he had consensual sex with. Groupies were really young back then. And that's, this isn't to, like, just say it's okay. And I think, too, if you can, like, look back at that shit and be like, that wasn't cute. I know that's what we did. That's not cute. We can't do that shit anymore. Yeah. That's like better than just being like yes, yeah, so we did. And I'm not saying it's okay. It wasn't okay, and and they both
0: fully acknowledged oh. that it was not okay. And that's the thing too is I think like
1: because we've been accused of like oh we take history out of context or whatever. Okay, fine. You want know I get it. Young women, you know, were fucking like older men who were in bands. They were younger groupies. They probably maybe even looked of age. I don't know. I doubt anyone asked anyway. None of that's okay. But that was what happened. And I think if we just look at that and say, like, hey, that's what used to happen. And that can't happen anymore. Right.
0: It is not an excuse at all. No. But a lot of, honestly, most of the women who were groupies at that time are like, yeah, that's what I did. I accept it. It was probably not the greatest uh, thing for me to be doing. Yeah. However, I chose to do it.
1: Yeah, because I also don't want to take the power away from the women. Exactly. Or even the younger men if it, you know, roles reversed
0: as well. Because it was, I'm assuming most of it was their choice. Yeah. And And if if it wasn't their choice. That's different. That's different. That's that's fucked up. Yeah. And whoever was involved with that should be held accountable. Exactly.
1: But I just wanted to throw that out there because... I think it is important to say, like, yes, there was some gross underage sleeping going on mm-hmm. from, like, a lot of the stories. You know, these were groupies who had body autonomy, who knew what they wanted, went for it.
0: And also- I, I
1: also just don't want groupies to have that bad connotation. Like, eh, they're just
0: fucking around. Like, maybe they are. But, like, everyone was here for it. But there were also, like, a pretty bad... Big group of groupies who were well known to a lot of mm-hmm. band members who are like we kind of respect her for what she's doing. Exactly. Who had a bit of a who knowingly had autonomy mm-hmm. like in the band members' eyes. They were like, yeah, yeah. We trust this woman. She knows what she's doing. We all know what everybody's about. Yeah. And this is what's gonna happen. Yeah. It's just I just it's wanted to address to, it. It's something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a, it is a
1: good cautionary tale to say this is how things were. Let's not do that anymore. Yeah, cool. Okay, glad. Go good. I'm glad I addressed it. Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> so the Ziggy Stardust tour commenced. They added songs from Aladdin sane to the set, as well as several costume changes. And right after its release in April, they would head to Japan. For their tour. Oh boy. And it should surprise no one to hear that Japan loved Bowie
0: and brought him very much inspiration. Because like we've said a million times before, Japan knows what the fuck is up. Japan always fucking knows. Japan and Henry Rollins. Yep. Fucking, they know what's up. Japan is tuned into the Henry Rollins "What's a pot line." Yeah, they
1: they actually get it hours earlier before we do. Yeah. (laughs) So he would incorporate kabuki and traditional fashions like kimono into his performances and costumes, all of it adding to the theatrics and making him just seem all the more otherworldly. So one might wonder how the hell David is able to keep up with all of this creating and performing and traveling. Especially because he doesn't fly. So yeah. sometimes it's train, sometimes it's boat.
0: Well, Plane, not planes, just trains. But trains. But and trains, and and trains and it's But trains and automobiles. A, well, I got one word for you cocaine. Is that how he traveled? He just snorted a line on the back of a toilet and was pew! like, pew, see In Detroit. Just, I mean, <laughs> yes, to him, I'm sure that's exactly how he traveled. <laughs>
1: See, he was never a big fan of marijuana or hallucinogens. All of his friends were doing it. And he's like, he didn't like it. It felt like it slowed him down. It distracted him. He didn't I, like I, them. They are depressants. So, yes. yes. But boy, oh boy, did he love uppers. Quickly picking up a $200 a day nose candy oh, habit. Holy fuck. Yeah. That's a lot of nose candy. That is so much coke. Like, I believe like when he started his Ziggy Stardust tour, like
0: again, I don't think he did as much with drugs. Like he did some cocaine. But, but once like, you get tired and the road wears you down, mm-hmm. that's when you start doing a fox ton of Coke. Yeah, you gotta stay awake. My God. Two hundred dollars yeah. in the seventies? Is a lot. That's like probably like a few grand a day. Yeah. yeah. With inflation and everything. Oh my God. And that fucking COVID shit. Right. Tariffs. So much. <laughs> supplies. Of course. Supply and demand. Just supplies. And Supply, know, shortage of supplies. Economics. Stonks. <laughs> with the stonks. It's NFTs, like- I think. <laughs> Cocaine, everybody. <laughs>
1: so, this combined with a blurring of personalities was becoming a bit too much. They came back to the UK the summer of 73 to finish up their tour. Like, they were like, all right, we're going to stop it here. Tony, though, was already talking about starting the new one right away. Tony! Tony!
0: Tony! Tony? Tony? Calm calm down.
1: (laughs) Excited that Bowie was going to be bigger than before when he goes back to where he was going, because it's like, we made this impression that first time, now everybody's going to want to see him. Uh Uh-huh. So David just was like, no. No. I'm so tired. I'm so Hon- tired.
0: Like when I was talking to the deer, when I hard shoved it honey, into a field. Honey, no, no honey, no, no honey, honey 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 no. honey, 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 no, no. I'm sure actually, David was the deer, and Tony was your car,
1: and <laughs> Tony it was just was like the where Subaru. Where do I go? It's like you're
0: going. Where do? Why do I? <laughs> what am I doing? Oh God, no. Oh God, <laughs> I gotta go.
1: <laughs> but David wanted to shift gears, stop with the Ziggy persona, and go back to being creative. It didn't help that there were many fractions happening in his professional relationships, not just with Angie, but his band as well. They felt that they were working too hard to be mere backup and not getting compensated fairly. Especially, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, like, Mick was... Uh, already like doing his own kind of like solo stuff. So he was definitely like, I don't know if I need to be doing this shit. They also found out uh, that the new keyboardist was making more money than they were by like double. (laughs) One day he was like, what do you mean you can't afford a very expensive car? You're David Bowie's backup band. And they're like, I can barely afford my rent. And he's like,
0: (laughs) whoops. Yeah. guess it, my contract was a little bit different yeah. than yours. Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: And so, on July 3rd, at the Hammersmith Odeon, so before they started their finale with Rock and Roll Suicide, he announced that this would be the very last show they would ever do. Shock uh, waved over the audience, as well as his band. Also a lie. <laughs> no one had any idea this was happening. There was no clarification offered. (laughs) The show just ended. David simply went back to his dressing room and proceeded to have a moment of grief and rage. Understandable reactions when you kill your alter ego. Okay. I mean, of course, this isn't the the end of Bowie. It was the end of Ziggy Stardust. But like context, David. Context. You know what's going to be really cool? Coke? Uh, No, I'm just going to do this. And I'm not going to tell anybody, and it's going to be wild. Yeah. Wild, guys. Wild. Wild. And everyone's like, that was wild. Did we just get fired? Oh, yeah, you're very fired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, very fired. You're very
1: fired. This is over. If that stunt pulled after years of pent-up emotion didn't help sell records, I don't know what would have. All of the previous albums began to fly off the shelves, and a greater appreciation for his earlier releases were found.
0: Oh. Um, a good, good move, coked up Bowie. Even the laughing gnome. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. People like this isn't that bad. No, it's bad. <laughs> Were they all on coke? Because yes. it's bad. It's the seventies. But also, can you imagine listening to that song while you're on coke? So, in my research, and I mean, I think I knew this anyway,
1: but it's just like people like I didn't understand the gravitas until like I was researching Bowie, and it's like people really did not think coke was addictive. Like, people are in the middle of a cocaine psychosis, and they're like, this isn't addictive. Yeah.
0: Their noses are falling off, and they're like, this isn't addictive. I mean, everybody thought it was totally okay to do LSD every single day of your life, and... This isn't addictive. Not, I mean, LSD... LSD isn't really addictive. Not addictive, addictive, but completely mind-altering, like, permanently mind-altering. You gotta be careful with that shit.
1: Even though money was being made, RCA understandably wanted, maybe needed more, and demanded something by the holidays of 1973. David wasn't ready to put something together that would be like a fresh new take after he just killed Z- Ziggy. Right. And so um, he just threw a covers album together and called it uh, pinups. Sure. Twiggy's on the cover. Oh. It's that one where David and another woman, she's on her sh- his shoulder and they're like, kind of like... And I was like, oh, that's Twiggy. I did not know that. Oh, well, good for her. The album itself is fine. Like, it's fine. But after everything leading up to that point, it really wasn't what anyone was asking for. Mm -hmm. He pays homage to some of his favorite 60s rock songs and appeases a contract. But, you know, it's just meh. It's it's overall inoffensive.
0: It is the album that... An artist puts out to satisfy a contract. Yeah. But not like in a bad way. Yeah. Like you can tell
1: it's an album to satisfy a contract, but it's still fun. Yeah. It's still got some bops. Besides, getting this out of the way gave David the time to work on his most ambitious album at this point. Mm. Diamond Dogs. Mm. (laughs) Do you know about uh,
0: Diamond Dogs? I have Diamond Dogs. Do you know the story behind it? Uh. Vaguely, but not entirely. I'm sure you can enlighten me. So this album came from a different place than you might think. He didn't want to just make
1: an album. He actually wanted to make a staged musical based on George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984. Doesn't
0: everybody? Doesn't everyone? I you mean, you know it's going to be a good idea. As soon as you say dystopian novel, 1984, and also everybody musical. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> why not uh, cause that is when I think I'm gonna write a musical I immediately go to George Orwell's I immediately go to
1: my list of like what you fucking made me read in high school
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did not read that in high school Of Mice and Men the musical <laughs> <laughs> I did read that one in high school Catcher in the Rye the musical Oh, oh god no yeah. nobody wants that nobody needs that no do not do that. Don't I will. Do that. Whoever does that, I will fucking murder you. Yeah. I will f- go full Lenny on your ass. Yeah. Lord of the Flies, the musical. <laughs> I would see that. I would 100% see that. I would fucking see that. See that I would love that.
1: <laughs> well, unfortunately, he was unable to get permission from Orwell's wife. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, she uh, notoriously refused to let anybody do anything with 1984 yeah. until she died. Yep. And that's why we ended up with a movie eventually. So just the concept album was going to have to suffice. He also took inspiration from William S. Burroughs to help create an apocalyptic setting. And while a cohesive story isn't made throughout this work... It all follows kind of the same theme of urban decay and a doomed mm-hmm. future, cause again, this is really Bowie's niche yeah. right now. For
0: a hot second I thought you said William Ass Burroughs. <laughs>
1: and I was like, Yeah. Hell yeah, he Burroughs ass. <laughs> oh my god. Porno name. Yeah. It's gotta be somebody's. Oh my god. <sighs> he also took up Burroughs' cut up method when it came to writing his songs. This was done by writing full sentences, cutting them up into smaller bits, and then randomly you put them together to create lines and verses. It's magnetic poetry. It is, but it's before magnetic poetry existed. Yeah. And sometimes he would keep what came out of this process, or he just used it to inspire him for like lines and concepts and ideas, uh-huh.
0: which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. David Bowie invented magnetic poetry. Who well, William knew? S.
1: Burroughs, actually. William
0: S. Burroughs. <laughs> Maggie, get it, right. <laughs> get it right. Get it right.
1: Get tight. it right. Or, get it right or pay the price. One of Bowie's lesser known personas. Uh, I would say it's a cameo personally, really. Um, <laughs> it's like a cameo. A it was cameo like, it's not like a real personality. Yeah. Look, he's got a lot. This yeah. is not a big one. But Halloween Jack appears here. He rules the Diamond Dogs, who are kids that live on the rooftops and cause a ruckus in the streets on roller skates.
0: Okay, this is like, what is the fucking dude that Tom Hanks played on SNL? He was like the scary, spooky guy. Oh, um, Pumpkins. Well, something Pumpkins. That guy meets Xanadu. Oh my-
1: David S. Pumpkins. David S. Pumpkins. Meets Xanadu. It's David
0: S. Pumpkins. Oh meets my God! Xanadu. Hmm.
1: Coincidence. Coincidence. <laughs> the cover artwork features Bowie still sporting that Ziggy hair as a half man, half dog, accompanied mm. by two freak show lady dogs against a backdrop of New York City. It started as a photo, and then just ended up turning into this painting. Actually, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name who made the art, the cover. But Bowie actually stole him from Mick Jagger because Mick Jagger's like, oh, hey, check out this artist. We're going (laughs) to use him for our next album. And Bowie's like, oh, yeah, really? I'm just going to. Do you have his business card? Thank you. And then Mick Jagger said, don't ever tell
0: David Bowie what you're going to do because he's going to fucking steal it from you it's kind of funny that everyone's like oh David Bowie he's so imaginative and he thinks up all these crazy original ideas but he's pretty much just yoinking everything from Mick Jagger (laughs) it's like but also doing it way better than Mick Jagger ever I mean that's kind of the thing
1: too like the Stones wouldn't have had nearly as cool of an album cover as Bowie did so like
0: also fucking sweet ass album cover because like that's got to, like, bifold. Yeah, you have
1: to bifold it to, like, see the dog part. Yeah. Also, there are dog balls on it, but in the American release, they were brushed out.
0: Oh, I'm going to have to look at mine. See if you got
1: dog balls on yours. I just mean, I don't really want to see them, but I will look at them.
0: We can just draw to. one on. <laughs> dog balls go here. <laughs> dog balls were here. He 19th. got neutered. <laughs> he got neutered.
1: Oh, Sad. The music on Diamond Dogs shows David's departure from glam. While there are still elements of it there, he, there's also a very theatrical sound present. Pianos and strings mixed with guitars all help to flesh out this dark, sad world be, being shown to us.
0: <laughs> 1984, so dark, so sad. I mean. It's, kinda dark, it it's kind of dark, in kind of It kind of is, sad. though. <laughs> but also it just seems. It's also a great I year to be born.
1: What is it? Wait. Nineteen eighty four. It's a great year to be born. Oh, okay. That's when I was born. I know. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> Another classic is on this record, "Rebel Rebel." Definitely one spot all the mixed critics could agree on. Some felt they were being fooled into thinking Ziggy was gone. This was just a cheap knockoff. But others praised it for thought-provoking themes and colorful music music accompaniment. Mm. 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 It was during the creation of this album where David's Cocaine Fix, excuse me, <clears throat> David's Cocaine Fix. Cocaine. Because that's how they say it. And Actually, my favorite is when I watch the D- British documentaries, and like, David Bowie's Cocaine Addiction.
0: <laughs> but also they say condom. Condom. David, so stu- David or- forgot to wear, David Bowie
1: forgot to wear <laughs> his condom, condom during his cocaine addictions. <laughs>
0: But also you can say it the way that Eric Clapton says it in his song. Cocaine. 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 That's right. Cocaine. Cocaine. Oh my God. Fuck you. Fucking hate you. (laughs)
1: Beautiful. Yeah. So David's cocaine use turned up to 11. He kept the tiniest silver spoon in his pocket so he could use it to get his fix when <laughs> he needed. so
0: stupid. Yeah, there's,
1: there was a David Bowie exhibit. They actually had the
0: tiny cocaine spoon. Oh my spoon. fucking god. It's like a dollhouse spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Do you... <laughs> Do you not realize how stupid you look? In the I 70s, like... you looked real cool. But did you... Did you even Dude, in the 70s? People would just be like
1: chilling in the fucking um, mixer room, just kind of going over thing, And they would just like put the little tiny Yeah, you spoon, look stupid. They just put the tiny spoon under your <laughs> nose and you just breathe it in. And you're like,
0: OK, I got my cocaine fix. But
1: it's stupid.
0: <laughs> yeah, To an dumb. outsider not doing this, you look stupid. Huh? Uh? Uh? <laughs> hey, hey. You want you, some Coke? You want a spoon? You want this little baby spoon of coke in, you know? You getting it? Yeah, sure. I'll snort this white <laughs> powder off of the tiniest spoon ever <sighs> into my nostril. Yeah. It's, you know what? It's a choice. I hate people.
1: <clears throat> the lyrics became pretty overt when referencing drug use, too. Candidate has a lot of lines like It's a street with a deal, and it's a taste. It's got claws. It's got me, and it's got you. Obviously, singing about his cocaine addiction. Mm. Mm. But I would argue the most obvious sign of his addiction would be his grand plan for the Diamond Dogs tour. Oh? Oh. This would be the performance to end all performances. It's like he learned from Tony DeFreeze and was like, you're right, we have to spend money to make money. It's such a bad
0: way to live your life.
1: And also, like I'm going to throw it out there. This is a lot for 2021 standards. Yeah. All right. The fact see, he was he wanted to use hydraulics on the stage in the 70s when they really didn't have that shit together.
0: <laughs> this already sounds dangerous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is a pretty big and expensive chance to take. The background and pieces to the set alone would cost over $250,000. Okay. Used inspiration from German expressionist films like Metropolis and the Cabinet of Dr. Cagliari. Okay. To just like create this dystopian scene for his stage. And like, you know, it's like very sepia toned and just yep. like drab. And yep.
0: like everyone looks like they haven't slept in three hundred years. Very like kind of silent movie. Yeah. And uh kinda um Art Nouveau-ish. Yeah. 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 It's kind of industrial cubist. Which eh. is Metropolis, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it looks
1: like that musical is going to come to fruition in some form here. Okay. So fun little piece of trivia. He hired a young and talented Tony Basil to do the choreography. Oh,
0: it's Tony Basil. I'm sorry. No, thank you. <laughs>
1: it's Basil. And if for anybody who's dumb like me and doesn't know how to say her name might not realize that she's the one who made. Hey oh. Mickey. Hey, hey Mickey. Mickey. Oh, Mickey, it's so fine,
0: it's so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey, hey, Mickey. Yep, okay. That's yeah. You're
1: welcome. Try getting that out of your head today, kids.
0: <laughs> you want me to
1: sing the whole song? I can. I mean, there's not too much to it.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm just I saying. Mean... I mean, we could. You know what? Let's just take a break right here. We're gonna sing all of "Hey, Mickey." <clears throat> Fast forward three minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At one point, David forced himself to kind of get over his fear of heights a little so he could be thrust into the air on a crane during one of the
0: songs. He would hang (laughs) over like the audience. But imagine doing all of this when everyone's on coke.
1: Imagine being on coke, being <laughs> thrust into the air, and then the crane By breaks. By a
0: person who is
1: on coke. Yeah, yeah. The crane <laughs> breaks, and you're stuck up there for six songs. Even the crane's on coke. The crane's on coke. <laughs> he was stuck up there for six songs at He's one point. serious? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Brilliant idea, guys. It's like, this is Brilliant. fine. You know this what? Is fine. I just, I hope you have some coke while you're up there. Because otherwise... <laughs> Not gonna be fun. He's got like his mic in one hand and and a tiny little spoon. Like, okay, I can do this. He's just trying to balance himself so he doesn't drop his tiny spoon. Oh my god! He's like, I don't care about anything. Just don't drop my tiny
1: spoon. Drop the spoon. (laughs) The tour was a hectic mess. Yeah, sounds like it. It was stressful. It was expensive. It was wearing on everyone, crew, band, even Bowie. Yep. So when in Philadelphia, they were like, let's take a brief break. There was a break in the tour. So, you know, not one to sit still, but we're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to create some more music. Okay. And that would soon to be the 1975 album, Young Americans. Oh, okay. See, David became acquainted with the funk guitarist, Carlos Alomar, who reawakened his love for American funk and soul. And this love never really left him, but Glam really took a front seat. But even on Diamond Dogs, he showed some hints of wanting a change because the song 1984 slaps. It is fantastically funky and it even shows some crossover into disco. Oh, do you? I don't know if you remember how 1984 goes, but it's a fucking bop. And we are uh, listening to it when this is over because yeah. I've had it stuck in my head for days. I'm 1984. Sh- I'm like, this song is fucking amazing. <laughs> it is a goddamn bop.
0: It's my favorite song off Diamond. Yeah, Dogs, anyway. I'll have to re-listen to that. But yeah, there's that, and there's a couple
1: other songs where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, he's he's trying to he's trying to stray into like he's dipping his toes in a thumbnail. David brought Carlos into the studio to work on music with him, as well as some very talented up and comers for his backup vocalists. Okay, a woman named Ava Cherry, Carlos's wife Robin Clark, and a young Luther Vandross. Oh yeah. Best of all, he reunited with his friend and producer, Tony Visconti. For two weeks, David worked day and night. Because, you know, cocaine.
0: Cocaine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they came up with a good chunk of the record, but the
0: Diamond Dogs tour was a-calling. Mm. Didn't have enough of that sexual chocolate on there. Mm. Not enough. Not enough. They tried, though. Too much cocaine, not enough (laughs) sexual chocolate. I mean,
1: like, the cocaine is nice, but I could use just a dash more sexual chocolate. (laughs) David made a bit of a brash decision here and made the rest of the tour a stripped down version of what it was before.
0: I thought you were going to say he stripped That's (laughs) That's <laughs> that's a brash decision. Yeah, it not is. a bad decision though.
1: <laughs> Boy wasn't feeling the theatrics anymore. He wanted to dress in slick suits and not have to worry about the set killing him halfway through the show. Yeah. And thus he renamed it the Soul Tour. There you go. Uh Tony DeFreeze was a little mad. Okay. He was a bit angry cuz so much time and money went into the set and he feared it would be difficult to sell a comparably smaller show. Which is kind of fair. It's like, you know, one side of the country's getting this huge fucking ridiculous show. Yeah. But and then like, like, Washington's like, all right, we're here to get it. And they're like, where's, but like the, where's the hydraulics? Yeah,
0: totally don't have faith in the charisma of your performer. No, not at all. You have to spend money to make it. <laughs> He's just sitting there like, Absolute dramatic shot as he sinks to his knees and goes, You have to spend money to make money. Ba, ba, ba.
1: <laughs> yeah. Starting in September 74, director Alan Yentob was working on a documentary about this monumental tour. Oh. But what he ended up with was a film called Cracked Actor. And while, yes, it did feature some footage from the Soul Tour. He also got an intimate glick glimpse into the personal spiral that David was in. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm sure that's what he really wanted him to put out there. He was like, well, I'm gonna. <laughs> Too bad. In the interviews,
1: we see a pale and emaciated musician mm. who almost seems to be a shell of a human. You see his paranoia, like all of the paranoia that like, cocaine has just developed in him. They're in a limo at one point and like he's just interviewing David and he's like, are they following us? And like he's just clearly lost his mind. Not even. I don't even want to say lost his mind, but he is clearly just like this shadow person.
0: Kind of living in like the veiled reality. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. drugs kind of do to like, a person. Yeah,
1: like you know, there's a there's a human in there, but it's very and masked. They
0: are here on this earth, but they are going through it with like some kind of film over their eyes mm-hmm. that makes them super paranoid yeah. and kind of hallucinate. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Bowie hallucinates a lot. Yeah. In December, the tour finally ended, and he
1: was free to jump back into the studio to finish his newest project. He got the gang back together and ended up bringing on a new friend for some assistance. Rewind a few months earlier. While in LA, David Bowie gets invited to a party at Liz Taylor's house because they became mm. friends.
0: She was friends with everybody.
1: Yeah, Golden was up. And duh, he goes. Mm-hmm. And there he meets another British musician by the name of John Lennon. Oh! It was his lost weekend, and meeting Bowie was a highlight for him. Uh, lost weekend, which was like two years.
0: <laughs> I love how he calls it the lost weekend. I'm like,
1: it was at least was, like several months.
0: It was long enough for him to have a very nice and stable relationship with Mae Peng and like them to get a house together and like all this shit. That was a weekend. Just a
1: weekend. It was, it was you know, it was a long weekend. It was a Friday, yes. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday.
0: Let's reduce the best relationship John Lennon ever had to one weekend. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, the two got on like old friends and it was decided it would be a good time to record together. <sighs> For what it's worth, <laughs> get ready to like John Lennon. like his The friend- one
0: time. His friendship with Bowie is actually pretty wonderful. His relationship with pretty much everybody during his lost weekend was great. <gasps> no, no. Even afterwards,
1: like when he went back to Yoko, uh-huh. um, he still was very close to David. Mm-hmm. And it, it, later on, when I get into his fight, when his financial issues come to a fucking head, he actually counsels David because obviously he's going through his own shit yeah. with the Beatles. And he's like, Let me look at your fucking contract. This is a mess. What are you doing? <laughs> this is what you need. You're not making money. Bullshit. Yeah. He looks at, this is bullshit. <laughs> you need to fix this. Like he is. He is kind of like a brother figure to David and actually they have like a lot of times where they would meet up together. They had a long running inside joke where they would like sometimes like if they were in a crowded place and like one walked away or whatever came Mm -hmm. back around and like behind him like, are you David Bowie? (laughs) (sighs) I'm not, but I wish I had his money. (laughs) And like one time John Lund's like, fuck you. You wish you had my money. (laughs) Kinda. Yeah, like, I don't know. When I hear the stories about John and David, it does endear John to me a bit because he sounds like he's like, I think towards the 80s, he kind of was becoming a slightly better person and getting his shit together. The
0: thing is, like, as a person, I do not care for John Lennon. Like, in general, on his own, don't particularly care for him. But then... I will read about his relationship with other musicians Mm. and his, or his relationship with other people that he was really close to. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's the John Lennon that I like. Yep. Because he is, he was at his best when he was with other people who had a. Just like a similar lifestyle. Just like a chill persona about themselves. Yeah. So, like. That's that's when I'm okay with John Lennon is when he is around other people who who complement his personality and bring him back down to earth.
1: Yeah. So you would be fine with John Lennon and David Bowie
0: if they were together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, you can thank him for some creative shit coming out of David, too. Mm hmm. So now David is in New York City to complete his record and he gets a hold of John and he asks him if it's cool to cover across the universe. And John's like, yeah, I mean, if that's a song you want to do, <laughs> if that's the one you want. I guess. don't get it, but have fun. Mm-hmm. But more importantly than a quirky cover would be what came from their sessions together. Carlos started playing a funky little guitar riff. John starts coming up with this hook and the three rework together to flesh it out. So it was a fully realized song. David wrote lyrics about the frustrations that he was constantly having to deal with because of
0: fame. fame. <laughs> and obviously, that's the song they come up with. I did not realize that John, John Lennon. Lennon had any hand in fame whatsoever. He did. So good for John Lennon. He's Sometimes you're like, see, this is what I want. That's what I wanted out of you the yeah. whole time, John. Anyway.
1: So when the Young Americans was like finally finished up, Bowie was by no means ignorant to the fact that he was a scrawny white boy singing music that was created by black artists. Therefore, he took it upon himself to call Young Americans a plastic soul album. Hmm. He's like, it's not soul because I'm white. Right. Now, this is also where some people. white right. <laughs> yeah. This is also where some people would start calling it blue eyed soul hmm Which I'm like, no, I like Plastic Soul. But it's... also that's reminiscent of the Plastic Ono band. Oh, no, I didn't get that vibe. I got it from, like, he basically means it in this way of, like, it's not actually soul. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's yeah. a cheap ripoff, but it's fun. And, I ha- like, he loved doing it. He loved working with the people he worked with. Like, he did his best as a white man to pay tribute to a musical styling that didn't belong to him.
0: Yeah. So I, I fucking respect that for a white dude in the 70s seventies, nobody else was actually copping to the fact that they were stealing music from black artists. Yeah. I mean, they let him. They still won't do it now. Yeah. They let so... him perform at
1: the Apollo. So that's when I'm like. All right. Well, they let him perform at the Apollo. That's yeah. a big fucking deal. It's kind
0: of a big deal. Kind of is.
1: Despite that, the album came out in March 75 to favorable reviews and sold quite well. To look at it now, one can definitely see that it's a labor of love and a tribute to music that inspired him. Some of the album's pretty forgettable, but like, yo, there is some solid jams. And I love the song Young Americans. Yeah, that is a really good song. It's so good. To the outside world, David may have seemed to be continuing on his upward trajectory to success. hmm But on, on the inside, his world is falling apart. Yeah. His cocaine addiction was out of control. Hmm. He was lucid and almost incoherent in interviews. And to look at pictures would be to see an actual skeleton. Like that picture I sent you the other day of them from the Grammys where it's like, did you see that where I texted to you? So it's, I don't remember. Look this up. It's Simon and Garfunkel at the <laughs> Grammys getting their award. Uh-huh. And then you see like... It's almost like they crash their photo. Like, David Bowie is on one side, (laughs) and then Yoko Ono and John Lennon are on the other. And then Roberta Flack's just chilling there, too. And they're all having a great time. And then Simon and Garfunkel look so uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, we don't know what
0: to do with this. Where are we? Yes. We are the only people not on Coke, presumably. I don't know their story, but, like,
1: what? Yeah. But, like, also... David Bowie is scary looking. Mm-hmm. He has no body fat.
0: Yeah. There was a point in time when he was wearing very big shirts to cover up mm-hmm. the fact that he was so skinny.
1: Yeah. He, um, I think, was around 90 to 95 pounds at this point. What? Yeah. And he's at least
0: 5 foot 10.
1: Yeah. He's probably my height, if not a little bit taller. But either way,
0: he should have definitely not weighed that little. No. (laughs) Like, that is less than half of my body weight. Oh, my God. So also,
1: the marriage to Angie was hanging on by threads. I can't believe they still made it this long. Girl. They had grown apart and become all kinds of jealous of anyone they dated. And at this time, David was seriously side dating, I guess. Ava Cherry. Mm -hmm. And, like, it had started out, like, fine. I guess Ava tells a story of, like, waking up and seeing um, Angie in the kitchen making the breakfast and being really sweet about it. But after a while, Angie was kind of like, all right, she's kind of overstaying her welcome But, like, get the
0: fuck out of my house. Yeah, not at first, but after a little bit. This sounds like an open marriage that did not communicate properly. On top of
1: it all, David noticed something funny about the money.
0: He had how many
1: successful albums and How many sold out tours? Yet he was barely paying his rent on his townhouse. I bet his manager was making bank, though. Tony DeFreeze had three homes in Manhattan and one in Connecticut.
0: No, Something didn't add up. Yeah. Weird. Connecticut homes are not cheap. No.
1: This was one of the few times the cocaine-fueled paranoia worked in his favor, and David had a meeting with Tony Zanetta about his contract with Main Man, Turns out things were not as he thought. Mm -hmm. First of all, he thought he was co-owner of the company. Oh, honey. Oh, turns out that was a big fat nope. Yeah. No. Even worse, he was considered an employee of Tony DeFries, making 50% of profit after expenses like tours,
0: offices, hotels, etc. Wow. Yeah. What kind of contract did he sign? One where he didn't read it. Yep. One where they were, like, in a hustle to get onto a plane in the airport. Just sign it. It's fine. Just sign it. And then Bowie's like, why am I here? I hate planes. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm just scared. I'm going to sign it. Fine.
1: (laughs) While he thought he was building a legacy with those around him, it turned out he was being used as a show horse. For others to manipulate so they could profit. Mm. And that was it for David. He told his manager they were done. He wanted out of his contract. Like he didn't even want to renegotiate. He's like, fuck you, I'm out. Yeah. And wouldn't you bet that was a long and painful process. Yep. Ultimately, Main Man would receive half of all profits made on any albums made under their management. Which what? started at hunky dory. What? Hunky Dory through young Americans.
0: Holy shit. Forever. I'm sorry. Who negotiated this shit? On top
1: of that, for the next seven years, Tony would continue to receive a percentage
0: of what David made going forward. That is so fucked. Yeah. This guy knew exactly what he was doing and he knew that if this situation ever happened, he he would make out like gangbusters. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Tony. 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 Tony? (laughs) David was beside
1: himself, spending days locked up in his home weeping. He felt he just spent the last several years of his life working so fucking hard and there was just nothing to show for it. I'd feel that way too. And I get it too. Like some people might hear this and be like, well, whatever. You just, like, you should be doing because you love music. And yes. But also, like, homeboys in super debt can't, like, afford a decent living. And I mean, also,
0: too, there is something to be said about he just got fucking conned by someone he thought he could trust. But also, it's not just about the music. It is about creating a persona with Mm -hmm. every album. It is fleshing that persona out. It is making music that is related to that persona Mm -hmm. and then bringing out on tour And trying to get it to as many people as you possibly can every single night. Right. It's not just making music and like putting it in, uh, putting it all on a theme. And also, too, just to know that all of the work you are doing is getting, is going to somebody who has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Who is actively fucking you over this entire time, knowingly, and pretending to be your fucking friend. Yeah. That is a betrayal that. Can really hurt a sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bowie's definitely a sensitive person. Yeah. He doesn't always show
1: it, but he's definitely a sensitive person.
0: He at least, like, really feels what's happening.
1: The lawyer that he hired to work him through all of that, Michael Littman, became his manager for like maybe a year. Maybe less? Mm-hmm. Didn't last very long. He just honestly wasn't the right fit to manage and act like Bowie and got sacked. Yeah. But that also turned into a lengthy and expensive legal dispute. Oh, my Cause God. Because ain't that just the way? <sighs> this guy. A director named Nicholas Rogue saw a cracked actor. Mm-hmm. And upon seeing the state David Bowie was in, the fragility and near desperation at times felt that was exactly who he needed for the main character of his upcoming film, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Ah. David had been wanting to pursue more acting opportunities, so this was a no-brainer for him. Yeah. But that also meant he would have to relocate to L.A. And this did him absolutely
0: no favors. Oh, a coke addict going to L.A.? Yeah, I, no. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> did it work out that great. Soon after arriving, he found
1: out that the shooting was delayed, which left him with nothing to do. Mm. But Coke. And then more Coke. Mm. All the Coke. Mm. I'm not going to go balls deep into the bowels of Bowie's cocaine addiction. Mm -hmm. But I will give you an idea of how bad this was. It started slowly, like it always does. And then it quickly escalates, with him needing a bump often, very often, just to get through conversation. The paranoia was realer than real, and some of the wildest things I've heard. He believed that witches were trying to steal his semen to make a baby to sacrifice to the devil. I mean, maybe not so untrue. (laughs) At least in L.A. Yeah. Maybe not witches. Maybe just, like, random crazy women. He thought Jimmy Page was trying to curse him after a negative altercation between the two also not entirely oh implausible <laughs> he heard secret
0: messages being sent to him in rolling stones records that's stupid
1: <laughs> don't give them that much credit <laughs> no that's credit. stupid
0: they they're not no they're not smart enough to do that
1: he was convinced that ava cherry was a vampire this period became way too much for her and she soon left good for her it's like no thank you okay David always had an interest in the occult, mm-hmm. a well-read man interested in sci-fi and the extraordinary occurrences in this world. Mm. It should be no surprise, but at this point he was fully invested, doing rituals, casting spells, drawing pentagrams
0: on the walls, keeping his urine in a jar in the fridge. But also this is like this is coke-fueled witchcraft, mm. which is not real witchcraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is not like anything legitimate that, like you know, grounds you to the earth and like makes you one with nature or anything. This is coke fueled witchcraft hallucinations. I know I have heard things about keeping urine in jars. Sure, okay, I'm not going to do that, but you know, I <laughs> guess other w- I guess other witches will do that. That's fine. It doesn't have to stay in your fridge. That's unsanitary any of it's unsanitary. but your basement i mean I don't know. the only place urine should be is either in your bladder or in the toilets. period fair enough
1: he was doing whatever he could to keep himself sta- safe from the forces of evil that were
0: trying to get his soul you know as they all do as all of us experience at one point <laughs> in our lives when we're on coke and in la yeah this happened to me a couple times yeah i know right those were bad
1: weekends those were my lost weekends. <laughs> those
0: were your lost weekends that lasted two years?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not only were the drugs rough on his body, but um, his diet wasn't really great oh either. Oh my god. Here we go. For a time, David Bowie only ingested four things. Cigarettes, Coke, milk,
0: peppers. Disgusting. Apparently he preferred red chopped up peppers. <laughs> Pretty much every single one of those things. Makes me want to throw up. Many were worried for David and tried to be a part of his
1: life so they could try to steer him away from the drugs. Yeah. He wasn't having it, though. His paranoia kept most of his friends at bay. One that he wanted close, though, was Iggy Pop, who had just entered rehab as a part of a court order, not just because he felt like (laughs) it, because it sure beat jail. Yeah. David even tried to sneak drugs to his friend while he was trying to get clean. Dude... Come on. His reasoning was, "Oh, we should bring Iggy some coke. It's probably been a while since he's had some. He needs
0: a present. <laughs> I need to get him a present. What do I get who what kind of things do you get Iggy Pop who has everything?" <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Iggy Pop had nothing. Either I I would say either coke or a t-shirt because he's probably Ooh. lacking in both. It's an I love LA shirt. <laughs>
1: Bump a Kodak, his little, hey, hey. Hey, with a tiny spoon, just under his nose. Go. Oh,
0: thanks, thanks, thanks. Oh, this a is for life. Love this
1: shirt. Love this shirt. Yeah. <laughs> the two would remain close after this, feeling they could only count on each other throughout their trying times. Which I meant to send you a bunch of pictures of Iggy and Bowie together because they're fucking a. Ad- adorable. I'm just gonna Google search it. Yeah. And that'll it be, be and We be, be best friends. friends. It is though and it's so fucking sweet.
0: Together forever and doing coke in LA. <laughs> Hopefully the coke should end soon.
1: <laughs> Finally, shooting for the man who fell to earth was underway. Sending David to New Mexico for a bit. I wouldn't say he kicked his cocaine habit during this time but like he wasn't as balls out with it.
0: Yeah, New Mexico's a weird place. So. And also, like, I think he at
1: least, like, while filming tried
0: to do less coke. <laughs> that would be advisable. So, good yeah. for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I depending on where he is in New Mexico, it's probably a little bit difficult to get some coke. So Or very easy. It really depends on where you are. Yeah. If he's in, like, Albuquerque or Santa Fe, fuck yeah, he is in Coke City. But... If you're out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. kind of difficult. Yeah. He got back to work on music, too.
1: Inspired by everything. The occult, Aleister Crowley, Nietzsche, mythology, the man who fell to earth, and the band Kraftwerk. Yeah.
0: Because they were getting hot right now. I mean, Kraftwerk kind of, you know, it inspired makes sense. Inspired everyone's. But it yeah. inspired everybody, but also it makes sense with all that weird shit. Oh, yeah. Because, like, where there's weird shit, there's craft work. (laughs) I like that. Where there's weird shit, there's There's craft craft work. work. This is the first album that
1: starts to make a more electro leaning sound. So, yeah, the the, the craft work shows for sure. Yeah. The resulting album is Station to Station. Many were pleased to hear his attempts with newer sounds, while others just wanted to stick to rock and roll, blah, 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 you know the fucking deal, I'm not even going to talk about Jerk it.
0: jerk-off motions, yep.
1: splooge, whatever. The back of the album features an interesting image of David wearing this outfit of a shirt and pants, they're black with these white diagonal stripes down them. Mm-hmm. He's drawing an image of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And it's a pretty blatant nod to all of his dalliances with the occult. And someday, I'll talk about this again. Mm. It also featured a new personality. The Thin White Duke. Mm. And he was not a good dude. He's a bad, bad man. Yeah. Physically, he resembles Thomas Jerome Newton, David's character from the film. Thomas came from another planet that is going through a devastating drought to find water. Then he gets consumed by the vices of Earth and is then... Just destroyed
0: by them. Consumed by them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sound familiar? Sound like everything he's done so far? Okay, Mm. great. Mm -hmm. This
0: is... um, With a twist. (laughs) Ziggy Stardust with a twist. With a twist. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The thin white duke is characterized as a mad aristocrat, and some have even declared him as an Aryan Superman. (sighs) Yikes. And at this time, David wasn't great at dissuading these thoughts. Let's get into Nazis. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. Wait, we talked about this in another episode. Your rock against racism. Yeah, because he said some things that pissed a lot of people off. Understandably. Yeah, rightfully so.
1: A real unfortunate side effect from both drugs and uh, study into the occult was and this. a
0: diet of only milk and peppers. I mean, I think that was
1: just that'll fuck anybody up. Yep. <laughs> That's disgusting. Um, it's this newfangled obsession he found with Nazis. Mm.
0: Yeah. Not see, great.
1: He was really, he read they were trying to find the Holy Grail and the Lance of Longulus and saw nods to like all this magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, I'm into this. The way I see it, he was just really out of his mind on drugs. Like really was. And like you said, living on this shit diet mm-hmm. with little
0: to no sleep. He was basically dying from he, starvation and no sleep.
1: Yeah, he reads like books like people, you know, blow their fucking nose. Like Bowie reads when he went to film the man who fell to earth, he brought four hundred
0: books with him to read. Oh my fucking god! So, boy is very he's well not read. actually reading them. I don't know. He's like he's speed, on cocaine. He's speed skimming them. <laughs> but um, you know. It's not too
1: far-fetched to think that the homeboy is just, like, in a really terrible state, state and just, like, easily convinced by the writings of a madman. Yeah. You know, it's it can happen. Um, But when all of this was going down, it was not cute. No, no. I did not love this journey for him. I
0: mean, considering an entire, like festival was created because of some of the shit that you said along with the shit Eric Clapton said. I'm mostly blaming Eric Clapton. It's mostly Eric Clapton, but like David Bowie didn't help anything. And also cocaine. Cocaine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So in interviews, David would say things like rock stars are fascists. Adolf Hitler was one of the first rock stars. Yep. Or that he would love to get into politics and strongly believes in fascism. Yep. Britain could benefit from a fascist leader. Ah, Yep. Mm, Once at the Russian-Poland border... He was detained for being in possession of Nazi literature and memorabilia. Yep. He gave a lofty excuse of doing a film on Goebbels, and that was just reference material. What are you talking about?
0: But why are you doing a movie on Goebbels? It's like nobody needs that. It's a story that. that needs to be told. <laughs> Not right now. No, he's
1: making really bad life choices. Yes. Yeah. Though sometimes it was just journalists being really gross and taking opportunities when they could. And they did did take some things out of context. There is a bit. The infamous photo from the Victoria Station when he came back to England and he's standing in a Mercedes Benz convertible. He's addressing the people and he's standing and he's waving. But Ah. they got him
0: mid wave
1: from the, the side with
0: the extended arm yeah. yeah so they're like look he's giving the fucking Nazi salute this guy but like if you look at this
1: fucking picture first of all and then there's video of it if you watch it mm-hmm. like you're like this dude is clearly fucking waving Yeah, like he doesn't like if you're doing the Nazi salute you're gonna be like Nazi salute straight you're out stiff as fuck this dude is like loose goosey hey everybody <laughs> so like I'm like he's not come on after the isolar tour, which was for station to station and apparently that's the
0: Portuguese word for isolate. Isolator, isolar tour. The isolar tour. <laughs> okay, so play on words, I
1: guess. Okay. David tried spending some time with Angie and Zoe in their new home in Switzerland. He was trying to at least make up time to his son whose childhood he missed a significant part of. Yeah. But he and Angie were on the outs, so um when he was asked to go help his pal Iggy to help record his first solo album, The Idiot, he was like, yes, yes, please. I will come. I will come and help. Oh. Yeah. This brought him to the Hansa Tan studio in West Berlin. Immediately, David felt a change in himself. The weight of division brought on by the Berlin Wall, the apathy Germans had towards the fact that he's a star. They didn't give a shit. And the burgeoning art scene. This place was special. Not only was the place important, but so was the company he kept. His friendship with Iggy had gotten to be a very close one. David and his friend knew that their addictions and wild lifestyles are going to send them to early graves. Mm -hmm. So they decided to try to help each other stay clean, like be each other's sponsors, basically.
0: That's kind of nice. It
1: is. Did it work? I mean, it wasn't a perfect process because it never is. Yeah. But somehow the two managed to avoid their drugs of choice for the most part. They're still gonna dabble a little bit, but Uh it really like you saw a change in both men.
0: That's good, right?
1: So cute. I love this friendship.
0: I mean, (laughs) I totally ship this. I know
1: that didn't stop them from drinking and smoking, though. Uh, I mean, they did. You know what? But like, whatever. Give them a break. They're trying.
0: Honestly, I'd rather see that, I guess, than snorting holes in your brains because of coke apparently at one point david
1: needed to have cartilage from his ear be put into his nose because his nose was going to cave in
0: he should have told stevie nicks about that <laughs> right she could have had that surgery right and just kept on snorting coke <sighs> i guess oh,
1: God. actually you know what's really funny is apparently when they got there they discovered that berlin was the um heroin capital of europe
0: Oh, good. So they're, and they're like, we're trying to get clean. And they're like, hey, you want some smack? And they're like, no, I mean, thank I you. guess when you live in Berlin in the 70s, yeah, you pretty much do anything you can to escape. Yes. Yeah.
1: Drugs weren't the only thing David was ridding himself of in Berlin. That infatuation with Nazis? Yeah, that shit goes away real quick when you're faced with the realities of a fascist regime.
0: Yeah. What about um the milk and peppers thing? Did he get over that? Yeah, he did. Okay, good. Yeah eat a bologna sandwich my dude somebody gave him a sandwich he's like this is really good and they're like yeah it is what's this bologna (laughs) I like it on white bread I love it (laughs) fry it up give it to me hot (laughs) oh my god (laughs) Fucking love it. uh oh,
1: he saw the impact it had on Germany and the evidence of heinous acts they carried out. Yeah. He realized how gross and immature he had been and disavowed all of his previous statements. But also not being high constantly really helped to get
0: there. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, would yeah, say yeah. it would.
1: Yeah. It's like you don't you don't use Coke for two weeks and you're like, I said what? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fuck. Gonna have to apologize for that one. The atmosphere in Berlin was filled with an obvious air of high tension and oppression. And One would think that would be a terrible place to
0: work on music. Yeah, but not- I was like, why did Iggy Pop choose this? It's a good studio. I guess there's <laughs> other good studios too, but
1: sure, why not? Why not? But it wasn't for them. This was a sobering journey to be the perfect time and the perfect place to create something that was truly David not steeped in another fabricated personality. And so he would see out the rest of this decade here by creating his Berlin trilogy. Hmm. The first in his series was low, but we had a lot of material to work with for this. He thought he was going to do the soundtrack for The Man Who Fell to Earth, but after working on it for so long, he was told he actually wasn't going to. So he's like, what the fuck? pissed (laughs) off. But fortunately, he was able to use some of this... Uh, some of that music in this album. Okay. He was in quite a mental state to pull from as well. He was at an actual low point in his life, fighting old managers in legal Battles and beginning to see his marriage was coming to an end. And he's confronting the shell of a person that not only drugs turned him into, but also years and years of playing these personalities he created. Mm-hmm. They had taken him over to the point where he... Couldn't even find David Jones, the boy from Brixton who just wanted to perform. This album was a real soul search. Mm. Who is David? I I guess he's he's David. I got you nothing. Know, he's David. It's David. He yeah. loves baloney sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> During his previous tour, he had befriended Brian Eno, and the two would gush over their newfound love for bands like Craftwork and Tangerine Dream. And for both This love would be a massive influence in their work going forward. They stayed in touch, and when David was ready to make this album, he knew he wanted Brian to come on board. What really struck people about this record was the second side, which is almost entirely minimalist instrumentals. Hmm. Instead of his usual lyrical approach, he and Brian created songs that portrayed musical observations of living in Berlin through sound. Like Warzawa, Perfect Example. Of course, this was heavily criticized at the time, but it also seemed that Dave didn't care. He was making the music he wanted to make, and it was also a form of therapy for him. I don't give a fuck what people think. Like, Low is a fantastic album, mm-hmm. especially once you have the context, but even before that. And the instrumental side is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I highly suggest people go and listen to it. He he and Brian Eno do a really wonderful job Of creating atmosphere music mm-hmm. For what I can only imagine Berlin was definitely like Back then <laughs> A bit stark It wasn't a great place <laughs> But it was inspirational Yeah It didn't help that RCA wasn't crazy About the resulting records So they didn't really promote it Oh no way I know Isn't that weird Likely story But you know what best of all Lowe is a highly influential album for post-punk music. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about in our Joy Division episode, they were insanely influenced by Lowe. They were trying to call themselves Warsaw at first. Mm-hmm. Um, Suzy and the Banshees, another band that heard Lowe and heard Bowie and were like, uh, this shit slaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, post-punk has David Bowie to thank. So if you don't like Low, don't tell me you like post-punk because you're yeah. fucking lying. He took a little break from writing music to go on tour with his pal Iggy. Not as an op not as an opener or a co headliner, but as a keyboardist and backup vocalist.
0: <laughs> he was just cute. like, oh,
1: I'm just gonna stand in the back there.
0: I'm just picturing the two of them as they are portrayed in Venture Brothers. Yep. As the sovereign. But in they in the Venture Brothers they're like enemies. Are they? Well they fight. Yeah. I thought that they were Part of the same. Uh, oh yeah,
1: because they were all part of the
0: uh, uh entourage. No, um, the sovereign is the
1: the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's but you know it's fun. It's, it's good times. It's so it's David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and Klaus Nomi. Yes, yeah, that's the three. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of like henchmen. Well, David Bowie is the uh, the sovereign. And then his
1: henchmen are Iggy Pop and Klaus
0: Nomi. Oh, yeah, it's good times. Did he actually have like some kind of relationship with Klaus Nomi in real life? I don't think they were that close, but I I do think feel like because I only touched upon looking it up, but I think there
1: was like at least like a brief interaction.
0: Yeah, like I don't recall ever seeing them being like besties or anything. Or they're but they he probably came across Klaus Nomi when he was when he was with Iggy in Berlin. Right. I assume. Yeah. That would make sense. I didn't, but I, I didn't, didn't think that they were like collaborators or no. friends or anything. No. But still I like the idea of them being friends. all three of them Because it makes sense though. <laughs> it it totally makes sense that like Klaus Nomi came from this like weird underground yep. uh scene in Germany and David Bowie would be into that shit. Yeah. Yeah, they were probably all just buds. Probably. That's fun. That is ha- That is canon in my mind. I think
1: it's canon in real life. Mm. Uh, But yeah, so David loved being on tour with Iggy. There was no pressure to be on, no personas he needed to prep for. He just chilled in the back of the stage and ignored any attention that people were trying to throw his way. He's like, this isn't my tour. I'm just here. <laughs> this trip helped inspire one of Iggy's best known songs, The Passenger. David mm. became a little more comfortable with flying, but still preferred to be driven around the country, so his friend joined him. That's nice. Yeah, so he's like, I am the passenger, because <laughs> he's David's passenger, he came along with him. Aww. Just like about their little adventures, it's so cute. That's cute. It is. In the summer of 77, he was back at it to record the next record in their trilogy, Heroes. At this point, David was in much better shape. Mm. No milk and peppers. Nothing but bologna Thank sandwiches. God. Do we have a lot of? No, I, I I I'll be done pretty soon.
0: Okay, I'll hold
1: it. Okay. yeah, you can hold it. I, I'm I'm like five to ten minutes. Post. Okay,
0: it's fine.
1: Mostly clean. Gained some weight and mentally present. This album took a more optimistic approach, considering his mood had lifted some. Mm. The titular track, Heroes, has become a rock classic. Yep. It's a mix of an ironic song, but also a song to inspire the everyday person. It's saying that we're probably doomed in the end,
0: but we can be heroes just for a day. Yeah. Give it a shot. Why not? Covered by the likes of The Wallflowers and Moulin Rouge. Oh. <laughs> you know it's a big deal then. Ewan McGregor can do whatever he wants. He can. mm
1: a lot of this was inspired by seeing Tony Visconti and his mistress slash future wife, Antonio Moss, kissing in front of the Berlin Wall. Oh. And it just, like, inspired, like, that's like, it's like, you know, like, a lot of the lyrics come from that and a lot mm-hmm. of just, like, the, this is a hopeless fucking case. Like, nothing will keep us together, but, you know, we could be heroes just for one day.
0: Yeah, just for one day we can be that couple. We can be us. Yeah. Forever and ever. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's it's cute. I actually really like it now. I mean, I liked it before, but... I yeah. It a, it's, a, it's a nice, cute little backstory. <laughs> the album received a much warmer welcome, and while there was still a lot of synth and atmospheric structure to it, there was a little bit more rock there, so you could, like, ease the critics' dumb, like, sensibilities, whatever. But still, the sides were split between lyrical and instrumental, and he toured for this record, unlike his last release. He called it the Isolore. Isolar tour.
0: Isolar? Isolar. Isolar.
1: Isolar. Isolar to tour. So it's Isolar. Isolar. Fuck, I can't say it. Isolar two. Okay. Watch me be just like butchering this and someone's yeah. going to be like, you said it super wrong. And please tell me. Well, you have a few beers and try to pronounce it. Yeah, they probably can. <laughs> Portuguese is hard. And then... This time people were exposed to a different person. One who still put on energetic performances, but this time is David Bowie. He was a warmer presence than he was before. Being asked to perform on Bing
0: Crosby's Christmas special. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) I actually like that song. It is really cute. It's one of the extremely few Christmas songs that I can tolerate. Right? You're like, this is cute. Yeah. This would go on my short list. Yeah. Nobody had to worry about Nazi talk anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just worried about what comes out of Bing Crosby's mouth. I mean, honestly, that's fair. Yeah. Lodger was the last album to be made as a part of the Berlin Trilogy. Funny thing about this triptych is that Heroes was the only album that was like mostly made in Britain. Mm-hmm. The others were like in France and Switzerland and New York and all over the fucking place. But it's so- the
0: Berlin Trilogy. So none of them were actually made in Berlin? They were inspired by Berlin. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's enough.
1: Lyrically, he explores life as a traveler, as he hasn't felt like he's had a solid home in his whole life. Each song on the first side looks at a different culture, from Kenyans to the Turkish. Okay. Side 2 takes jabs at Western culture. DJ is a song about disc jockeys and how they take on a personality of being the music they play. Boys Keep Swinging brings back David's interest in gender bending and criticizes the colonization of gender. Hmm. He's ahead of his time. Yeah, no big deal. Not
0: the first time. Yeah,
1: RCA actually promoted it this time. No fuck. Yeah, but most most critics didn't get it, finding it to be a weak follow up to Heroes, which is kind of fair. Cause it's, like yeah. it's, I'm very like the Drake meme about this. Like side one, I'm like. Side two, side you're two like, I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> like side one is no bueno uh-huh. to me. To me, I it's not for me.
0: Yeah, but side two is really good. Look back in anger is a fucking bop. Wait, did Oasis take the name of their song from that? Probably. I mean, are you asking if Oasis is original? <laughs> no, I already know that they're not. But I mean, I thought they were just stealing from the Beatles. I guess they stole from David Bowie too. Yeah, that's checks. That makes sense.
1: Brian Eno also wasn't too happy with the results, so this kind of ended his collaboration with Bowie for a few years. But that's okay. Like, they got fine. enough out of it, and they
0: they, they came back He's together. He's doing fine. He
1: did fine. They both did fine. Mm-hmm. No matter how his albums were doing, at this point, David had a few outlets to pour his creativity into. He began painting for the fun of it. He was asked to perform in TV and film. He was finally becoming the multimedia performer he had always sought after. Mm -hmm. It wasn't entirely with a clear head, unfortunately. His coke habit was pretty much kicked, but now he had fallen into the trap of replacing it with something else. Oh, no. This time it's alcohol.
0: Oh, come on, David.
1: David had a tendency to get pretty obliterated and... uh, Drink fairly often, and down the road, it's going to become another habit. It's got to kick. Yeah. Still, though, he was managing to be a much better father than ever. He was spending a lot of time with Zoe and taking him along on trips.
0: No shit. Yeah,
1: their bond would strengthen. However, the same could not be said for either of them with Angie. By the late 70s, David and Angie were not only avoiding each other but actually fighting when they were around each other. Oh, no. There's a lot of limp-biscuiting around here. He said, she said bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Their open marriage seemed to give David more freedom than Angie. When she would bring a more serious partner around, he would get real mad about it.
0: They were still living together? Um, Not really, but I think they were still spending time in <laughs> I, the same like, area together. Okay, but like, if you're not even spending that much time together, why do you feel the need to bring a completely separate person into your space if you know you're already having problems. Because cause you're toxic. Because you're all toxic people this making toxic so decisions. This is so toxic.
1: It's a bad scene. And
0: I feel like you're just doing that to piss the other person off. Like, both of you are doing yeah. that. I mean, because here's the thing. Angie would actually get unreasonably
1: jealous about David's relationships. Namely, Coco Schwab, his assistant, friend, and sometimes lover. And he has stated that Coco was instrumental in helping him get mm-hmm. clean. And she would claim, and Angie would claim, that Coco was causing a rift between between the married couple. But it wasn't one person. This union was no longer serving either of them. The fact that they had become so vitriolic to each other was
0: inevitable,
1: as clearly neither yeah. was happy.
0: Obviously. Yeah. And at this point, it's just becoming like, who can piss the other person off the most? Yeah. That's honestly what this started to become. Yeah. Ultimately, they were officially divorced in
1: 1980. And wanting to avoid a messy custody fight, Angie let David had full custody of Duncan Zoe. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. She says, like, oh, I, Duncan was my gift to David. He really wanted a child, so I had this kid for him.
0: I'm, mm, okay. No. Yeah, and and like. That's kind of just convincing yourself that it's okay for you to just absolve yourself of any responsibility for your child. Kinda. That's basically what that is. Well, yeah, because like, so basically, Bowie and Angie don't see each other ever again. Wow. I mean, like, maybe once or twice. Like, at all? Yeah.
1: They were done. Wow. And Duncan would follow suit later in his years. Both father and son have come out to say Angie is a corrosive person who they do not enjoy being around.
0: That's upsetting. I guess
1: I can see that. Yeah. Like, Duncan is just like, my mom sucks. (laughs) Oh. Like. She's still alive? Yes. Okay. So, Angie is a controversial figure in music history. Yeah. Because, like, no matter how things ended between her and David, you know, like, her role in his formative years cannot be understated. Oh, she yeah. Is super fucking important. Like, yep. she deserves all of the recognition for that.
0: Mm-hmm. She However, also,
1: <laughs> it gets really shitty and, like, tabloidy. And, like, <sighs> so, like, I think David's lawyer actually did something really shitty during their um, divorce. And like I think it was he released like some naked photo of Angie.
0: Cool. That he probably yeah, got from fucking David. Revenge porn her. That's a great yeah. idea. So you like the judge asshole. would side more with David. Oh fuck all of that. So like
1: I'm not saying that she's um some crazy like
0: bitch who has like no reason to act the way she does. I find it absolutely hilarious that this dude released a naked picture of her mm-hmm. to sway the judge. Because a naked picture has more sway over the legal system than a years-long coke habit and complete irresponsibility for years. Well, somebody's a man and somebody's a woman. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But she says some gross fucking things. Like, she makes a lot of shit up in her memoirs that you're like, she's clearly trying to attack David. After David died... She's like, he was actually a huge fucking asshole. I don't know why people, like, worship him so much or why people care that he's dead.
0: Wow. Yeah, like, she's not
1: great. All right. And, like, she ended up getting married to some other dude and had another daughter. And she's estranged from her as well because... Yeah.
0: Well, that's kind of, you know, corroborating evidence. I think that, like, Angie is definitely a victim of being...
1: Definitely a victim of the patriarchy because... Any woman in rock is going to be a victim of the fucking patriarchy, but I think she's also kind of not a great person.
0: I'm getting- You can be both because people are complicated. I'm getting Courtney Love vibes. Ooh.
1: That's a good comparison.
0: Like, yeah. Like, Courtney Love- Without the heroin. Is is definitely a victim of the patriarchy. Mm. She knows she is, Mm. and she kind of manipulates people and the media- to sympathize with her, but it ends up backfiring Dude, every time. If Kurt didn't die, they would have been Bowie and Angie. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, because they had this great love affair. They had the one child. Yes,
1: and they definitely were inspired You know, instrumental to each other's, you know, formative years. Yeah,
0: and instrumental in their careers. They really inspired each other musically. But they would have definitely not stayed together. Oh, they would have imploded (laughs) so hard. If Kurt had not died, they would have imploded within a year. Yeah, easily. But I I see the correlation between the two. Yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. The only difference is that the spotlight stayed on Courtney and she got nuts with it. Spotlight so didn't stay on Angie. Yeah. Never really was on her. Right. For better or worse. She was far more in the background yeah. than Courtney Love ever was. Courtney yeah. Love wanted that spotlight. Mm-hmm. I don't think Angie necessarily oh, no, Angie craved Oh, Angie wanted it. spotlight.
1: She was oh. trying to be an actress. She was a model. Like, she wanted fame, but fame, but she just couldn't get it. That's fine. Just didn't work out. So the 70s began with David seeing mild success, but the struggle was real while he continued to fight for a record deal. And he got his heart broken by his first love. He came a long way in the following 10 years. Handfuls of hits and his name on everyone's lips, for better or worse. Mm. And yeah, a divorce. So he's not doing great with love. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Whatever. You know what? Homeboy can live his best non-monogamous life now. There you go. A new decade was coming in. 1980. A wild time for everyone, especially in entertainment. Yep. David Bowie was now looking down a new path for himself. One that hopefully held more sobriety, but just as many hits as the previous. Is he successful in this? Well, you can find out on the next episode when we conclude our tale of
0: Mr. Bowie. And then we can talk about Labyrinth. We're just going to talk about Labyrinth for three hours. So
1: much. I'm so excited. (laughs) Watch me like, he did a movie called Labyrinth. Bye. (laughs) All right. Basically. He put out this album. Yep. I mean, he did a lot of movies
0: in the 80s. He really did. He was. Some teen. good, some not so good. Some hilarious. Some absolutely hilarious. So, so we'll go through them. Yeah, we will. But
1: yeah, uh, that's part two of David Bowie. Mm-hmm. It went very long. This is my sorry. two towers. Yeah, this was a lot. Yeah. I'm tired and I'm going to. I'm going to go drink uh, some milk, eat some down no, some peppers, God, no. and take no, a nap. Not. You are not going to do either I'm of not. those things. Yeah, I hate milk, first
0: of all. <laughs> milk is disgusting. I love peppers,
1: though. Do you? I mean, not like enough to eat them whole like that. Like, just eat up pepper. You don't like hot peppers. Oh, no. I thought they were just like regular peppers, like, like green bell and red peppers? peppers. Yeah, I thought it was bell peppers. Oh. I'm pretty sure it's bell peppers. I assumed it was hot peppers. Oh, I think it's bell. It could be all the peppers. Oh, God. The Harper, actually, no. The milk would counterbalance
0: the Harper. Yeah, heartburn. the milk. That's that's why the milk is there. I didn't think of that. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> also, that's how you destroy your internal organs. Oh my so God, yeah, a lot. A lot of things make more sense to me now.
1: Yeah. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. We love you and appreciate you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next week is
0: gonna be last David Bowie, last deep dive, last yeah. balls out. So. Come on back for a big old fun time. You're gonna get our best of 2021. It's just gonna be in 2022. Yeah, but you know what? There, now we have an entire year to bring to you. An entire year. Not cutting year. it short. Yeah,
1: by a couple of weeks. It's fine.
0: No, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. We're not taking a week off this year. No, because then we're gonna have a lot of
1: time off after after yes. next month. <laughs> it's gonna be really cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so come back next week. Get the last story of David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on your crazy kids out there.
0: Fame <laughs> Oh, Mickey, you're so pretty. Do You don't understand. Take me by the heart when you take me by the heart. That's a good mashup. Fame <laughs> Hey, Mickey! <laughs>